Please turn in your Bible to Ezra chapter 5. This morning I'll be speaking on the subject of round two. When you think of the phrase round two, what do we think of generally? Boxing, round two, ding, 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 that's one. A second trip to the food line, this is round two. Golf on, fr on uh, Friday is round two, the second round of the New Life Classic. Secondhand, a secondhand clothing store, round two. Right? How about the pro draft? This is round two of the NFL draft today. But we also think about having to face something difficult again. Man, I have to go through round two of this. Sometimes that's chemo, sometimes it's something hard that we, it's like, man, didn't I just come through this? And now I have to go again. And that's what's happening here with the Israelites this morning. And so as we begin, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 6 of Ezra 5 and read through verse 17. This is the copy of the letter which Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Sheikh Shethar Bozanai and his colleagues, the officials, who were beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent a report to him. Notice this is a new king. Okay. So they sent a report to him, which it was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we have gone to the province of Judah, to the house of of the great God, which is being built with huge stones and beams are being laid in the walls. And this work is going on with great care and is succeeding in their hands. Then we asked those elders and said to them, who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple and to finish this structure? We also asked them their names so as to inform you and that we might write down the names of the men who were at their head. Thus they answered us, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished, referring to Solomon. But because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. Also, the gold and silver utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them to the temple of Babylon, these king, these king Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to one whose name was Shishbazar, whom he had appointed governor. He said to him, Take these utensils and go and deposit them in the temple in Jerusalem and let, and let the house of God be rebuilt in its place. Then that Shishbazar 
came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem. And from then until now, it has been under construction and has not been, and is not yet completed. Now, if it pleases the king, let a search be conducted in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon. If it be that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem, and let the king ascend to us his decision concerning this matter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for how you work things out. And Father, as we walk through this, it's so interesting how you've orchestrated this whole thing. I pray that you speak to each and every one of us. And I ask that we'll hear from you and that we'll follow after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So this morning, as we look at round two, we're going to see some things. We're going to see, we're going to see uh, their inquiry. Or we're going to see how they saw the work. We're going to see their inquiry about the work. And we're also going to hear about the work that God was up to. When you see the work of God, as they did, here comes the enemies of Israel again to write another letter. This is another letter to a new king. And they see what God is doing. They're reporting to the king what they saw, which is super interesting. Because they tell them in the province of Judah, a house to the great God is being built. They recognize that it was for God. And it really be an interesting study to go back and dig into the word great and how that, relied, how that related in their community. And so they recognized the greatness of the God of Israel and they're seeing what was going on. And he was well known uh, in, that, in that place and time from bringing the people back from the dead, essentially, restoring them to their land and now restoring this temple, a house where he dwells with them. They tell them that it's being built with huge stones which tells you this, that's not a small task. I was just, how many, <laughs> these huge stones took a lot of effort to cut from the rock to move into place and to set. So it was not a small undertaking. This is a well-known construction operation. He's also alerting the king by telling him that, that this is not something that we can just flick and knock down. This is something significant. He goes on with that same theme. And he says, it's being built with beams laid in the walls. When you lay beams laid in the walls, it ties the rock together. It's reinforcement. It's the same reason we put rebar in our concrete. Because concrete, if you just pour concrete without it, it will crack. But it's held together by the tensile strength of that steel. Because steel, believe it or not, gives. Where concrete does not. Our post-tension cable, what they're using today. And they tighten it up when it does crack to bring that slab back together. And so they're using that same construction here with huge beams. Beams laid inside the walls. They're reinforcing the rock that is there. Tying them together. They tell him it's being built with great care 
and succeeding in their hands. See, when God sets his heart upon something, when he sets his heart upon a work, it will happen. It will happen as long as his people are obedient to him. As long as his people are willing to follow. As long as you don't have to have all the answers and you just trust him. They laid the foundations, but now they're beginning to build the house. And you would think that the house would use smaller rock. But no, not this house, not the house that God dwells in. It's built with these giant rocks. And so God's hand in there succeeding in what they're doing. And I thought that was super interesting, the fact that even the enemies of God recognize the success of his hand. We so often want to convince people about the hand of God or that God is at work. God takes care of that himself. We see it happening here. He takes care of it with those who were reached. He takes care of it with the enemy. It is impossible to not recognize the hand of God. He tells us that in Romans that that we are aware of his being by everything in his creation. And so it's not, God doesn't hide himself. He reveals himself. And so it's built strong. And so their intention in telling him, hey king, this is going on, this is happening. This thing is strong, you need to be aware. You need to take note of this. What's going on down here? It was their testimony of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. So they saw the work they saw what God was doing through these people. They said, this is happening, King. And then they make an inquiry of him. So we saw the work, and they inquire about the work. They, they make an inquiry to these men. And so the enemies of God, or the enemies of Israel, begin asking them, what are you doing? Who gave you permission? What are you doing? And who told you you could do that? You know, they thought they, you know, they thought this had already been dealt with, right? We had the first letter. We had the king's decree. Do not build. This was already handled. And now here they are. They're out there doing it again. Parents, you ever deal that with that with your kids? I just told you and now you're doing it again. They thought they had already dealt with it. So they asked him, who issued the decree? They wanted to know whose authority they were acting on. Did something happen, essentially, that we're not aware of? Because you guys started building again after you were told not to. So they, they do somewhat of a prudent investigation to see if somebody had given them permission to do this. Because if you try to stop a decree that had been issued by the king, that could cost you your life. And so they've got a little bit of self-protection going on. Who issued, they wanted to know his authority. This kept them from complaining to the king if he had given permission. In other words, we're not going to send this letter like we did the last time if the king had told them to do this. We're not going to enter that. And then they asked, what is your names? They wanted to know who they were. So they could inform the king who was in rebellion if they were in rebellion. Well, I'm going to get your name down. What is your name? You can always tell when somebody's doing it for that purpose. And your name is? Because they get a little bit of a... Yeah. 
an edge in there. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, sometimes the same edge we give sometimes. And your name? Let me get your name. Especially when you call the help desk. And your name was? Kind of the same thing. And so they wanted to get that down. Listen, the enemy's persistent. The enemy's persistent. We cannot underestimate our enemy. He is persistent. And so when we begin building and when we begin to follow God, the enemy is going to throw everything at it. He's going to throw road encroachments. He's going to throw viruses. He's going to throw all kinds of things trying to stop the hand and the work of God. Because you know why? He does not want the people of God to realize the freedom they have in Christ and the power which resides in them. He wants you to believe that you're defeated, that you have not overcome the things that you've struggled with for so long. He wants you to believe that there's not any hope. So why would you tell other people? Why would they even want this to? And if he can do that, he will quit. He'll pour water on the fire. I'll tell you this, though. I have seen, uh, I have seen personally seen a fire so hot, the water couldn't put it out. It actually evaporated the water. And that's what I'd like to see, the fire of God fall upon this place so hot, ain't nothing put it out. Amen? Amen. But you know where that begins? You know where the, you know where the kindling for that fire is? It's in our hearts. It burns within us. It burns because we can't stop talking about what God is doing and inviting people to come. And tell them because we want them to be saved. The, the church today is in bondage, folks. And it's our job to, to communicate the truth and let them be set free. They think they're doing their thing for God by showing up on Sunday morning. Listen. We come together for encouragement to go do our thing for God. That's why we're here. And then they begin to hear about the work of God. They begin to tell them. They begin to answer their questions. And so they and, and it reveals the beauty of what God is doing. They didn't say, hi, I'm Bob and Sally. They said, we're servants of the God of heaven and earth. Man, isn't that where it begins? With a heart of servants. A heart of serving. A heart to be in obedience to God. We are the servants of God. If anybody asks who we are, we're the servants of God. We serve the one who sits on the throne high and lifted up. This was true. They, but the interesting thing is they were not servants of Darius, the king. And so what he's communicating to them by saying that is he's, these people are not your servant. They're serving him. And you know what? That's what I want people saying about me. He serves God. First. They tell him that they're rebuilding the temple that was torn down because their fathers provoked God to wrath. 
So they're setting things right. And you know what's really interesting? He takes it out of their hand to say, I've destroyed this. And I can do it again. Because Nebuchadnezzar came in and carried him off and destroyed the temple. He thought. See, you cannot touch God's stuff without God's permission. You can't. It's not possible. And what they're saying is, you didn't throw this down. God allowed you to throw it down as correction to us. But we're back. We're back. We're back. They even saw the success themselves. So Cyrus, they tell him that Cyrus had issued a decree to rebuild the temple. So they're following the two previous kings, his order. They say, hey, Cyrus said to go do it. They didn't tell him about Artaxerxes. Whose authority was his authority? And he gave the authority to go do it. Now his son took it away, but the authority was still given by him. And God's grace gave them favor with these folks. Cyrus ordered that the gold and silver utensils that Nebuchadnezzar had taken be returned to the temple once it was built. So he was restoring the temple to a place of worship. He was returning these things that belonged to them that were in, in false idol worship because they were in the temple of Babylon which was not where God dwelled. He removes them and sends them back to where they belong. So Cyrus had done that two kings ago. And so Shish Bezar I just call him Sheesh. That's bizarre. Anyway, uh, he returns with the gold and silver. And he is the one who rebuilds the foundation. Isn't that interesting? So he has these elements. And don't you think that played a role in what he was doing? So I'm carrying these things that are meant for service to God. I'm responsible for them to take them back to Israel And I'm the one, when he gets there, there ain't nothing there. And he's the one who lays the foundation. A sense of responsibility when he's carrying the treasure of God. See, folks, listen to me. We too carry the treasure of God. It's the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. And that creates a responsibility for us to go into the community and love on them and be there and serve them and share the gospel with them and tell them the truth of the hope of Jesus Christ because we carry it in these earthen vessels. And so he carries this back, carrying the responsibility of those items had to transfer to his heart to rebuild their home where they belong. Then they request Darius to look into whether or not Cyrus issued the decree to rebuild the temple and what his decision concerning this matter is. 
I thought that was brilliant on the part of the Israelis. Well, Cyrus did it. So when they check the books, what do you think they're going to find? Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild it. He did. And so we're going to see how that turns out here in the end. But there's some things that we, we're going to pick up on that next week. But there's some things that we, we learn with about from the second round of resistance. The first thing we learn is when God is at work, it's obvious even to outsiders. You know, we don't have to come up with some big promotional program to tell people that God lives here. What we have to do is let God live here. And lift him up. And he will draw men unto himself. We have to be obedient to his word. And go into the highways and hedges. And compel men to come. Into the house of the Lord. If we don't do that. We're being disobedient. But the reason we compel them. Is because we want them to have the hope. Of what it means to walk with Christ. We want them to experience the freedom we have. Now, some of you would say that applies to some areas, and there's some areas that I don't feel free in. But I would imagine that there's areas, if we were to go back in time, that you didn't feel free in before that you do now. That's called sanctification. And I think our calling is to set the church of God free and to reach the lost with the, with the hope of the gospel. I think that's our calling, new life. The church is so bound up that they're drained of their energy, they're drained of their power, they don't know how to tap into the spirit of God. They're told to manage their sin when Jesus took care of it on the cross. I want to teach them how to fall in love with, with Jesus Christ and let him express himself in and through them. I mean, if they're not abiding in the vine, that's my goal for you. My goal is not to attach you to me. My goal is, is to help you understand the attachment you already have with him. And the longer something's grafted in, the graft becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and layers build around that. The reason that we have to effort to abide initially to even see some fruit is because it's new. But it won't always be new. As long as we keep walking and living in obedience. And so if we simply follow what God has asked us to do, the Lord will see him. We lift him up through obedience, not by the latest fat or church growth scheme. Sold out hearts speak volumes. Two, do not be surprised if the enemy uses his people to engage you. Well, do you really believe I can't even, you know, then you can just do anything if you believe that. Let me explain that, because I've heard that a lot. Well, if Jesus took all my sin away, 
then I can just sin all I want. You know, the answer to that is, the real I don't want to sin. The real you doesn't want to sin. The real you will talk to you after you commit a sin and go, why did you do that? The real you cries out for a conversation with the God of heaven and earth. That's the real you. We've listened to the other so long that we think that's the real us. And we're deceived. And here's the rest of the story. When God sets us free, this idea that I can sin all I want ought to break your heart. Because why would you ever pile on Jesus hanging on the cross? So when somebody says that, the first place to start is, do you know him? And here we are at the gospel. And if they do, then why would you ask that question? Why would you even contemplate such a thing? Because the new creation in Christ wants to sin less, right? The new creation in um, what God is doing in us wants to move on. The new creation struggles with the fact that we sometimes sin still. Even though there's pleasure in it for a moment. And so don't be surprised if the enemy engages you. Remember, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. He will use people. But those people are not who you're wrestling with. We so often think, man, I really struggle with Jack. That Jack guy, man, he just chafes me. I don't know why he's always there giving me a hard time. Right? You ain't wrestling with Jack. He's wrestled with, against uh, principalities and powers in high places. And why would they care about you? Because after all, what can you do? After all, you're not like Billy Graham. After all, you can't sing like Stephen. After all, even the enemy knows our worth more than we do. Doesn't that seem ridiculous? <laughs> How is that even possible? That we can't understand what God sees in us so much that the enemy would come against us. Identify those attacks and handle them appropriately. Those are opportunities for the gospel, folks. Three, there comes a time when you have to take a stand. Don't fear or fold during this opportunity. Now, taking a stand does not mean obnoxiousness. That's not what we're talking about. It means you choose to obey God over man. And how you do that matters if you're going to reach people. 
Now, we are called to be in submission to all the authorities over us. Jesus told us, render unto God, Caesar what Caesar's, and God what's God's. I do not believe in social rebellion unless they're telling us to walk away from this. When, when the authorities over us tell us to walk away from the word of God, that's where we say no. And I will say no. And if I go to the clink, that's where I go. Because he's all I got. When heaven and earth flee away, Jesus is all I've got. And I'm convinced that he is more than enough. More than enough. And so be careful. How we do it matters. How we do it matters. You know, there was a the story takes place in India. There was a pastor who sent some of his associate pastors into a village. They evangelized by knocking on the doors. You ever get anybody here ever go door knocking? I've been door knocking. Y'all have never been door knocking? A couple of y'all? Just cold. That's when you're knocking the door and somebody goes, okay, you do the talking after they knocked, right? Well, he, they send their associate pastors door knocking to lead people to Christ. And they knocked on the door of this policeman who was an active member of a party who was very against Christ. And he threw him in jail. Arrested him on the spot. Put him in jail. So the pastor goes out. And they heard that he was coming. And about 50 guys waited for him and beat him unconscious. And some of his friends knew about it and they went and got him and took him to the hospital. Well, later, guess what happened? The pastor recovered. He went back to the prison. He went back to the prison and uh, they, let all the, they let all the people out. See, they continued doing ministry because they wanted the people to know the love of Jesus Christ. They were not deterred by this group who was opposing them by opposition. We cannot, we have been deterred, ladies and gentlemen, as the church of Jesus Christ in this country to take a stand for what we believe because they are, they're <laughs> really good at categorizing, putting labels on, and we don't want those labels because we think it hinders the gospel. And that fear of being labeled has in itself hindered the gospel. Because if anything keeps us from sharing the truth of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection with a lost and dying world, the gospel has been hindered. And if we allow that to go on, the labels they put on us might actually identify those who actually are truly followers of Christ. Let them label us. And then people will know who's coming. But, 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 but you don't understand. If they do that, people won't even talk to us. Don't underestimate the hand of God. 
to work in the hearts of people around you. Take the opportunities when they come. Let the labels come. What did they call Jesus? They called him a liar. Are you going to believe a liar? If somebody's a proven liar, are you going to believe him? No, you're not. They called him names and didn't stop him. Because he was speaking truth. And he knew that that's name calling. Come on. We are older than that. Some of us are way older. We rise above. It's time for us folks to rise up. Don't let opposition affect you negatively. Does it stop you or does it fuel you? See, opposition is a natural part of ministry. It's natural. He said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. Does the world hate you or love you? That's a great question to know whether you're doing the will of God. Does the world love you or hate you? Don't let anything, anything, anything stop you from doing the will of God with your life. Well, if I only knew what that was, you know what it is. To love him and love others. He's told us what it is. It's not some assignment title that you carry. He calls you to himself. That's who he, how he calls all of us. And he directs us as we're willing to obey. He shares with us what to do in each and every situation. In every moment. And the question is, are we listening and saying yes? When we do, the power of God is unleashed through a group of people. You realize we have more people in this room this morning than Jesus started with. We have 25% more than the disciples. Look what he has done with the disciples who are willing to follow him. And they had problems too. Well, I got problems. So did they. One even denied him at the most critical moment. Well, I'm glad I didn't do that. Oh, really? You ever deny God by keeping your mouth closed when you should have said something? I've done that. You? Yeah, I'm no different than you. It came and I had that thought, I should say something, and then for some reason I just didn't. You ever been there? I know it. And then you walk away and you go, and then you start beating yourself up and the enemy helps you. He brings us, you're kind of using a little stick, he'll bring in a bigger stick. Yeah, that's right. You think you're really something, but when the time, the pressure's on, where are you? You heard that one before? I've heard that one before. Let me tell you something. That's why we're to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're to hear Him and obey. And not back up. Don't let anything stop us from doing that. God puts you in situations with other people for a reason. He's given you everything that's come in your life to this point. To give them a peace that they need. Whether it's the gospel. Whether it's a tear in your eye. Because they're hurting. 
whether it's rejoicing because they got a new job. Because I'll tell you this, people that celebrate with other people are rare. Everybody's jealous and they're like, well, how come so-and-so, he don't deserve it. You ever hear that at work? How come Bob got promoted? Bob, I've been here longer than Bob. Bob is not all that smart. He must have nosed his way up. We do all that. Instead of saying, you know what, Bob, I'm so excited for you. That's awesome. Then you're the voice of positivity and encouragement in the office. Don't you want to be known for that? That's an opportunity. How can Mark be so positive when he got passed by? Well, let me share with you how. Because I'm not pursuing the things here. I pursue things above. His name is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. This is just on the fly, folks. This isn't prepared. It happens all the time. And we miss our opportunities. So let's not do that. People today, right now, specifically, are living in fear. They're afraid of other people. What a good tactic that is of the enemy. I'll tell you this. This storm's going to pass, folks. Just like they all do. It will pass. We don't need to fear. We need to be obedient to God and to the authorities over us as long as they don't violate this. And we're going to do that. Because that honors God. Because that is obedience to God. So if he's doing that, then he's working something in our life, maybe in the life of our church, for a reason. And so the question for all of us is, are we willing to listen? And you're like, that's such a small thing. That's just this little thing. Well, good, let's start there. Let's do that easy thing first thing. Well, that's easy, Pastor. I can just do that. That's awesome. Let's all do that. Every one of us. I don't care how old you are. It doesn't matter age. Young or old. And if you think I'm talking to you, I am. Because you're in the room. <laughs> and so this morning, what has God been speaking to you about? I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.